Hi, it's Thursday night. <clears throat> I'll tell you the truth, I'm really wiped out. However, I know I have these friends in Israel, and if I don't get it out tonight, the parsha it won't be well, convenient for them. So I'll try my best to say a few words about the parsha. Uh, Baruch Hashem, I have a sponsor this week. Sal Stefanski very kindly uh, offered to sponsor this one, and I um, appreciate the help and the support. I'm always looking in this podcast for people to help out, and I appreciate the ones that are um, true blue. The uh, it's a funny. I, I got to tell you a freaky story. It's weird. I um, was thinking what what I do is I don't have a lot of time to think about the parsha. You know, on the other hand, I do much time mikrovech talking early in the week. I try to. This is who I am, and. Um, with my current schedule, and possibly yours, with the COVID, you know, things aren't normal, so I don't have, usually the time, they used to be able to put into, uh, I used to do medrash, and this, and that, and the other, all different commentaries, but, uh, I do a Zoom for my show a couple days a week, four days a week, and discuss things in person, and when I talk, I'm the type, one thought stimulates another, that's just who I am. And I have to share this with you because I was talking yesterday about the story of Adam and Eve and the Nachash and all the rest of it. And I was speaking this afternoon with Ariel Bam. I think he's like, what are you going to talk about? I said, maybe I'll talk about the Nachash, about the snake, something. You'll hear what I mean in a second. And while I'm talking about this, I look up on my desk in my basement office where I always give these podcasts from. My room surrounded by books. Uh... There's a doggone snake right in front of me. It's a couple feet long. It's holy cow. I just shocked. Where the heck did this come from? Mama, you know, in front of my computer. A snake. An ochash. And not a little one. And all kind of colors. Whoa. Jumped out of my seat. And to tell you the truth, at first I thought it was still. So my grandchildren were playing in the room beforehand. And I thought, you know, they have a, you know, the fake snake. You know what I mean? With the rubber. My granddaughter has stuff like that. And so that's what I thought it is. I picked up the throat away. Doing The thing jumped out at me. Whereas I went through the roof. I scared out of my mind. That's like a mama hucha. And by the time it's over, I called a pest control guy. Uh, my very good friend, former student, Sean Rosenblum. He came. He took care of it. But not before. <laughs> a great deal of scare was happening. And I do not, at this moment, understand the meaning of that. Because obviously... From a religious perspective, why is it the good Lord put a snake on my table when I was thinking about doing <laughs> about the snake this week? Now, I have friends, I have enemies. The friends will be Dosh Lishwach, the enemies will be Dosh Lignai. That's how it always goes in life, whatever happens. Or, to want to rephrase it, the friends will be Dosh in a way that will be good for them. The other will be Dosh in a way that will be <laughs> bad. So I'm not exactly sure what it is. I do have one former student who's really... <laughs> A firm, he's a very big in learning. That's all he thinks about all day long. And he said, oh, Nachash means you gotta, you got to go back into Chosha Mishpat. Yeah, Nachash, Chosha. I said, that's the original interpretation. Uh, however, anyway, this is a true story. It's like nuts. I don't know to this minute how this big snake got into my house. It makes you, and it, you know, the last time it happened was 30, 30 years ago, I believe. I mean, that was another story, but I won't go into that. Anyhow, um, we all know that this 
is partially bracious, and one of the big stories is Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden. Now, again, speaking in terms of coincidence or not coincidences, I think I told you one of the things I do for my little mustard seder every day, five, ten minutes, is I'm trying to finish up this Shara Gamal with this nice addition that I had. I started with the Ramban, you know. I started with um, an L, but I do a little bit every day. The Ramban is never an easy reader, never an easy read. Um, that's just who he is. And very token dick. And uh, same thing over here. I love this edition because uh, it's broken up and has no Nakudas and all the rest. So that's just who I am. And it enables me to go piece by piece through the Ramban. Two pages here, two pages there, something like that. And um, the reason I'm mentioning is because, you know, he's now in thick in the discussion of heaven and hell. And whereas, in, speaking in a very broad way, broad sense, the Rambam, of course, is extremely philosophical. Uh, Ramban always doesn't like that uh, because it takes away too much from the Peshat. The Rambam never goes around and says the Peshat didn't happen exactly, but you see that it's a... Uh, what shall I say? He's... he's, he's uh, he wants to say the Peshat is... The story is literal, but it has a meaning... It has a metaphorical meaning also. Where the Rambam only talks about the metaphorical meaning, or, or often does... This is a very complex topic. I'm just Werner, Werner Vuchem. But nevertheless, is this, I'm just t- t- sharing a drop or two with you, not giving a philosophy class. And, uh, you know, uh, when it comes to anthropomorphisms, everybody agrees it's not literal. You know, if it's God has a nose, God has a hand, or things like that. Uh, and this week's partially is going to say that God got depressed, you know, when he saw how evil man was. You know, all that stuff. I mean, come on. So, you know, those things would be taken literally fine. But, um, there are many other passages where you're not sure if it's literal or not. And some of Farshan, Ral Bog, for example, always say, well, it's, a, it's, a, it's meant to be a metaphor. It's not literal. And others say it is literal. And uh, Rambam is not so clear on some of those things. I repeat, the non-anthropomorphic stuff. I want to be clear about this. The Rambab does believe there was Adam and Eve. The Rambab also believes that, that what, I mean, he talks about this in the Marnevuchim. He's into the uh, Pirkei Valesa, which is the old Medvish, and he said that he, the Rambab in the Marnevuchim says, you know, the Nachash at Bia with Chava, and the Zuama, the whole thing. It's not what you would expect. But, um, and one of the very uh, interesting issues is what's Canadian exactly? Uh, that's never clear because it sounds like Adam and Eve were in a place on the earth in, in the Garden of Eden, which is somewhere. On the other hand, God chased them out of it and put a sword, an angel with a sword there, which sounds like it's it's some part of the earth which is inaccessible. Well, in the year 2020, every part of the earth is in it, is accessible. So where is it? You know, where's the place as a an angel with a swinging sword or or something like that, right? And perhaps you say an angel with swinging sword is a metaphor, but what's tutzach? Um, and then you have the Gan Eden, or when you die, if you're at Sadiq, you go to Gan Eden. But what does that mean? Right? And interesting, the Rambam, for example, which is surprising, says that, uh, you know, there is a place called Gan Eden around here, although he doesn't say when you die, you go there, but he said there is a Gan Eden, and the Sadiq will be Zoch in Gan Eden, 
if I understand him correctly, this is, I'm thinking offhand of the Perichelic, you know, introduction Perichelic in the Pierce Mishnayis, which is very, very famous. And uh, and he says, I remember, I mean, I've seen this long ago, he says the Garden of Eden might have magic, uh, I shouldn't say magic, they might have amazing um, herbs and trees. Uh, all of our modern uh, medicines, you know, from from the herbs and the, you know, and the things they find in the Amazon jungle. So Ken signed to be amazing things over there. That's the uh, trees that, that we're talking about in the Garden of Eden. But what about the Garden of Eden that when you die, you know, Sadiq can go to Gan Eden. So the guy just died, says the goof is gone. So the Neshama, whatever, is going to Gan Eden. Ram's not 100% clear about that. So this is what I happen to see today in the Ramban. is a discussion. That, what is the schar for the Tzadikim and all that? And he tries to distinguish, at least the part I understood, between Ganeid and Olam Haba, and to give a short version of it, Ganeid is the name of something you go to um, upon death, and Olam Haba is after Yom Adin, Agodol Agivanur, you know, the end of time, when you get your final uh, verdict. And uh, that'll be a different place and a different state of existence. But the dead go to, he says this, the dead go to Gehenna or Ganeid. So you go to a place where they suffer, a place where they, uh, the opposite of suffering, uh, enjoy. And uh, that's the, that, the distinguishing between, between, you know, Ganeid versus Olam Hava. But, and here's the point I'm, I'm going to get at. You know, it talks about that there's a Nahari Yotzeh Me'eden, uh, there's a river, and it goes in four parts, and all this kind of stuff. And uh, I think the Rambam, or the Rambam's son, I, I've seen it once before, he said that's done to be stood as a kind of a metaphor, because where are those rivers? You understand? Where are those rivers? But the Rambam, yeah, I'm putting the, opening the book, he says, What's the Scharnosh in this garden? There is a place on the planet Earth called Ganeden. And there are four big rivers there. You know, Gichon and all that stuff. And there is a river in that place in the Garden of Eden which surrounds Israel. Really? I mean, where is there a river in the Middle East that surrounds Eretz Yisrael? Kol ma shabba kosov mepshuti b'seder brachis. All these descriptions that you find, pashup shat and seder brachis, meaning in the parsha brachis, hakol emes ein mikra mehen yotzi mide b'shuto. They're all to be understood uh, literally, or maybe literal is not the right word, but I'll be pashup shot. However, Ramban goes on to say that in addition to that, right, and he talks about the fact Ganche Midos. He thinks it's below the equator. And Sifu was going to come on. And he quotes Escaplalius and uh, other famous Greek uh, travelers. I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting Ramban over there, right? But he goes on to say, and I'm sharing this, in my edition of the Shargamuts in chapter 16, the way they broke it up, if you have that very nice new edition. But everything in Bracious is to be understood double. In other words, literal and also metaphorical. That's a very Kabbalistic take. Uh, there was an Avram Avinu, but Avram Avinu represents something. Again, there was an Avram Avinu, and he was married to Sarah, and they were real people, but Avram also represents something, and Sarah also represents something. You get it? In other words, Pshat Remiz Drash showed. You can understand the term on multiple levels, and one doesn't necessarily take away from the other. So I repeat, 
סרי אינגן שהדברים כפולים, כי גן עדן וארבע נהורוס, עץ החיים, עץ הדס, אשר נוטה שם אלוקים, all those descriptions you find of the remarkable supernatural stuff in the Garden of Eden and the rivers there, הכרובים, לאט החרב מספכס, the cherubs, there are angels, גם עלי תאינה וחג גורס הקוסנס אור, all the things you find described in the Garden of Eden and the Adam and Eve story, כולם כפשוטם וכמשמעום, they're all literal, אמס, הדבר ויעצי בעניין, right? So, first of all, there is a place called Ganein, there was a guy named Adam, there was a woman named Eve, there was something called a snake, that's all true. Well, it's sowed mufla, but in a more sowed way, heim siuri dover lahovin sowed inyan omak b'mashal. They're also, at the same time, they represent, metaphorically, something uh, remarkable and spiritual. Kamosha Shanina, Dumus Suras Hayi gives a it gives an example. And uh and the Mishkan he says were like that, and then the Kruvim were like that. So in other words, there are stuff there, but what they represent may possibly be more interesting. That's a, as far as I understand it, in my little knowledge, I think it's a very Kabbalistic take. That um the stories happen, but what they represent are much more interesting than the stories. And I think there's even a famous statement somewhere in the Zohar, I forget where. Rashim ben Yuchai says, if these stories would only be understood in a literal sense, only, I could write better stories. That's, there's a, that's a famous passage in the Zohar. Now, he's not making fun of Chumash. What he's trying to say is, if it only had that shot, like what we call in English, authorial intent. Somebody writes a book. Uh, Shakespeare writes a play. There's a wealth of scholarship, always has been, always will be. What was Shakespeare's uh, meaning? What's the shot? Uh, what did he have in mind? And, you know, you could be like Scalia, an original constructionist, and say, well, if you live in Shakespeare's time, this is what this means. And you could be a, a Darshaner the other way, and so on and so forth. But what you're saying is, what you're saying is that these things have a very uh, specific, you know, meaning. Uh, now, by the way, a person who's into authorial intent will say like this. You know, I think when, when Shakespeare wrote about Hamlet, he meant a Zoe. I see it as an allusion to World War II. Okay, that's okay. But you're not saying Shakespeare had that come on. Now, let's switch that with the Torah. Uh, you can't say what's the authorial intent. Because God is infinite. Or, or I, I said that wrong. God is beyond infinity, create infinity. And so, you can't say the pshat is, is the whole thing that he had in mind. If you can even use such terms. You see what I'm getting at? And so, therefore... For Kabbalah and Ramban or something like that to say that the story happened, but the meaning of the story is more interesting. Is a possible mahalach in trying to understand the Torah? That's just just the way it is. Now, anyway, to get down to the famous story that we all know of how we understand the story of the Nachash and all the rest of it, or at least let me put it this way: How do I understand it when I'm sitting here in the middle of the Corona in? The year 2020, October, in Tavshin Pehalov, with all this junk going on, and the riots in the Borough Park, and Eretz Yisrael, and all the rest of it. Because at the end of the day, I can't help being a rabbi, and that kind of militates you into thinking homiletically, and uh, what can I do? Uh, and I'll tell you where I'm going with this. To me, I've said this in the past, the most interesting or powerful point for us is the idea that there's always a snake in the Garden of Eden. So there's a nachash in the garden of Eden. 
which means the story of the fall of Adam and Eve is an unbelievable story of human folly. That's how it's been understood, only by Jews, by Goyim also. The human folly. Uh, as I always like to put it, suppose I gave you a job maybe a million dollars a month. Uh, and I said, don't mess with it. You're bringing home a million bucks a month? Why would you risk it at all? And somebody comes along and says, I guess, let's do this in a shtick. It's possible you could lose a job, but it's more, I'm telling you, it's not going to happen. And most likely, 90 to 1, 95 to 1, nothing will happen. What are you, crazy? Who's going to tamper with a with a prosperous concern? You get it? You got a good thing going. Why would you at all risk it? Anybody risk it is nuts. It's not normal. Okay? Now, there are some people like that, but they're dumbbells. Why would somebody risk it? And here, the story of Gan Eden is obviously that kind of folly. Jeroboam uh, created the world, made Adam Arishan, the highest creature, put him in Gan Eden with, with, with Chava, and that whole, that whole story. Uh, love the Lashamra. It doesn't get better than that. They didn't have to work. This before the curse of Adam. There was no pains of childbirth. It's, it's, it's a utopia. Correct? It's a utopia. The only thing was, don't touch this tree or that tree. Boy, oh boy, if I had a job like that, I wouldn't come close <laughs> to tampering and risking with that. Right? Why would you? I'm just saying, it makes no sense. I but it happened. So, you see, as a human folly, there's a, there, there, it's never perfect out there. There's always a snake in the Garden of Eden. Right? Uh, the Rebunshal made a perfect world with Anachash. <laughs> you follow? He made a perfect creature. So let's put it this way. Where Adam and Eve were walking around naked, there were no mosquitoes bothering them. That's not how it worked at that time. There were no bees biting them. There are no problems biting them. It's a paradise. I mean, it's it a perfect world. Uh, which is interesting. It wasn't hot. It wasn't cold. It was perfect temperature. You know, it was San Diego all year long. Everything was great. But there's a nachash. <laughs> but no, one thing he did put, one bad thing he did put in there. Okay? And um, if we ask the question, how could they be so dumb as to, you know, fall for the blandishments of the nachash? They weren't familiar with it. We all know the famous Nevishachayim, everybody knows this, where he says that, you know, uh, uh, maybe it's in Arizal or something, that before the sin of Adam, uh, the Ra was external to Adam and Eve, wasn't when the Chalik of them. And once they did the sin, it became a part of them. Which is always a very interesting teaching. But as I understand that, it means they didn't understand what evil is. They don't understand they were being taken advantage of. Because the Nechash had bad intentions. And in the perfect Garden of Eden, there was no creature out there that was giving them bad intentions. There was one, but they didn't know it. Meaning they, weren't, they couldn't recognize it. If Ra was external to them and they never saw it before, they didn't know what Ra was. Now, once you do an Avera, then you know what Ra is. That's the meaning, I think, this is my understanding, this is my interpretation or my understanding of it. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I believe this is what the Nevishachai means. Uh, that, you know, once you internalize it, then it's a different story. You get it? When I say internalize it, no, they literally ate, you know what I mean? So it became part of the goof. And they did the sin, and, n- and then life would never be the same again. Uh, you know, ne- life would be never the same again. Don't the, don't the Nevishachai say like this, if there was the one Nisayan ever, if they would have rejected the temptation of the snake, then there, there would be no Ra anymore. Uh, but they didn't, of course. That's the story. Now, because uh, they didn't know what it was. They didn't, they didn't rec- recognize it. 
and uh, and in the end, you know, he says she made me do it, and she said the snake made me do it. All this kind of stuff. Uh, and so, you, you the, the in the metaphorical sense, which doesn't take away from the shot, the metaphorical sense, you see, there's no perfect situation. There's always something bad there. You got to watch out for. Can never be at ease. It's a very Jewish type of teaching, very Muslim type of teaching, because once it became part of the Sahara, now Adam and Eve are familiar, and so are their children. That there's always la pesach atas rovers. You know, there's always a nachash. There's always the Yitzhar there. And you and I will never live our lives without the presence of a Yitzhar, and um, it'll always be pushing you to do stuff, and and that is a struggle that goes until you die, right? Or lose the mind. <laughs> That's the struggle that goes on to, to, to the end of life, uh, and and everybody knows there's no such thing as winning a victory of the HR. There's no such, permanent victory. It's like living a, a constant state of war, which is a bummer, right? But that's the Jewish teaching that there's a melchamas and it goes on forever. It's like the Roman Empire; they can never stop fighting the barbarians. So you, you can never stop fighting the HR. This we know, this we know, and it's only natural that after a while people get tired of the fight. And they give in here and there and all the rest of it as part of the human condition. Uh, only if only gone is, you know, kakochias, kakochiata, that at the age of 70 you're still fighting, you know, every inch of the way. But it's, it's very hard. There's no such thing as killing the HR. The snake is always there in Eden. And the um, reason I mention that, and it's, and it's the march of folly. You get it? No, it's, 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 it's silly because a from person, a believing person, knows intelligently why mess with that and only lead you to onish. Uh, just avoid it and you'll stick with the scar. But, you know, it's not like that, right? Uh, once it became internalized, you, you fall for temptation. Uh, the, the the fruit was sweet. What was the expression? Nechmad Lamara, something like that, you know. And Tovle Naim, Nech Lamara, something and uh, this is this, this is how people are, and we do a ton of dumb, stupid things as a result of this. Now, the reason I'm mentioning this is, is a contemporary politics. Uh, the Jewish people, going many Jews now, are going nuts in the current crisis. In New York, they broke uh, they're violent, breaking the law, and they broke the park, and this Meshuggan over there was leading riots, and so on and so forth. To me. Uh, they're acting stupid like a snake in the Garden of Eden. Because, and listen closely, from a Jewish historical perspective, um, from the history of the Jewish people, uh, America is a Ghanaian. There's never been a country, that's a Gaulish, but there's never been a country that was as good to the Jews as America. It's got faults. I know about the six million Jews, no question about it, and Hanami. I say it's perfect. But relative to any other country where the Jews lived, there's no system, that, uh, no political system, and no societal and cultural system that was ever good and, and as, uh, what's the right word, as tolerant of the Jews as the USA. That's uh, quite a statement I just made. Um, so why are you messing with it? You get what I'm saying? Why are you messing with it? Uh, the answer is you're listening to the Nachash. The Nachash says, go ride, go complain, go shrive time, go do what the others do. Uh, I, it's dumb. It's as dumb as listening to the snake saying, you know, you don't have to listen to the to the rules. Eat from another tree. Why are you messing with it? It does not make any sense. But people do it anyway. 
Now, you can say like this, it's frustrated, I get it, the politicians, you know, Cuomo, this and that and the other, I understand, no, but it doesn't make any sense. Why are you messing with Ganadin? I'm speaking in terms of political rights, religious toleration, ability to be as mock as you wish, and it's a perfectly legal, and, you know, it's accepting the society. Uh, in my lifetime, the USA has gone very far in acceptance of all kind of Mishikas, including ultra-Orthodox Jews, correct? You can be a super, as from as you want, you can get through Harvard if that's what you wish to do. You can get to anywhere. Uh, so from the Gullist perspective, it's unbelievable. Now, by the way, the Nachash said to Chava, feel at home, you're in charge, you know, the God is afraid, you'll be like him, meaning... The Nachos said like this, it's your garden, act the way you want. This is the mistake of the, and she, and she didn't realize it wasn't her garden, it was, it was Hashem's garden. <laughs> she had to follow the rules of the host. You know what I'm saying? In your garden, you can eat whatever tree you want. If, it's, if you're in somebody else's garden, <laughs> it's love to Shamra. You can live there and have a great time. It's not your garden. And if you mess up, you can get expelled. You see where I'm going with this. The Jews, wherever they've been, have been kicked out of Gardens of Eden. And believe me, they weren't in Gardens of Eden either. But the Jews in one country after another, you know the history of Jewish people. They kicked out of one place after the other. Uh, and some of the places they were kicked out is good they were kicked out, and some places not. But I can tell you right now, uh, America, uh, are you really want to get kicked out of the, this Garden of Eden? Um, you going to get a better Gullus? Sell them out, you tell them, I guess they'll go to Israel. These people aren't riding the figure of going to Israel. Plus, let's talk about Eretz Israel. Again, with all of its faults, and with all of the non-from stuff, I get it. Eretz Yisrael, from a Jewish political and, and historical perspective, the state of Israel now, Medina Israel, is a Garden of Eden. There's never been a place that has made it so possible for the from to flourish with government money. Just it never existed. Yesterday I was talking about the note of Yudah. Boy, would he like to be subsidized by the government. The, the, the yeshivas were always starving. Now, for whatever political reasons, BB and all the rest of it, it's been that way since Ben Gurion. The uh, the Israeli government, you know, is 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 bankrolling all these institutions, uh, the 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 yeshivas, the kohls, and all the rest of it. Are they? Do they have bad stuff? Sure, they have bad stuff. I'm not stupid, but I can tell you right now, I'm a historian from a historical perspective. The Medina Israel from the Frum is a Canadian. Matter of fact, it is allowed the Frum, and I mean the Haredim to do what they never had anywhere else. What you have now in, in Israel is not what you had in Europe. When you had towns in Europe that are famous, like, you know, Volozhin and, I don't know, Vilna and uh, you know, whatever your place is, Gare, Vishnitz, all these places. I've been in many of these places. There were Geisha towns. There was a large Jewish presence. There were Geisha towns. The guy were the Boston's. You know what I'm saying? You were a guest in their place and not a welcome one either. And so there never was a thing, if I lived in Vilna, for example, uh, that's a Polish town for many centuries, Polish and Lithuanian. Wherever I go, I saw all kind of Gaisha stuff. You see churches everywhere. You see uh, old people not like yourself. Um, the Jews had to develop their, what I call, a, uh, in my class, always a mental ghetto. They necessarily have a physical ghetto. If you know the realities of the housing patterns in, in Eastern Europe, uh, and mental ghetto. Uh, in Israel, you have a physical ghetto if you want it, and they do want it. 
So what I'm trying to say is like this. A Mei Sharm didn't exist anywhere. A B'nai Brak definitely didn't exist anywhere. Plus, there was no such thing as everybody knows, a society where everybody's learning. A few people could learn. Nobody had the money. Everybody else had to go do something. They could learn on the side, perhaps. Or not. You know, or not. That depends what century and when you were. In Eretz Yisrael, you have whole societies of learners. Never, This never existed like you have in Israel today. Uh, people, perhaps, are so busy dumping on Israel where there's reason to criticize them, like the dumping in Israel, they didn't realize what, what a, a jackpot they got over there, right? Uh, you never had situations in which you had whole societies of just nothing but learning, and it's paid for by somebody. <laughs> you understand? And you're messing with that? What, are you crazy? You hear what I'm saying? What, you, you, you're trying to break up the coalition? You're trying to, 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 to bring down the government? You're trying to make things worse with the corona? And you went with, with uh, you know, and and the masks and all the rest of it. How does one explain that kind of folly? Why would somebody want to mess with a good thing? What better situation are you going to get as a result of the breaking of the law? And what better situation are you going to get as a result of the riots? Now, there are some people who probably figure like this: let Israel go to hell and let the Arabs take over, and then we'll be better. They're obviously crazy. They're crazy. Uh, well, we're back to nothing but Pasha's bracious. That's the reason I was thinking of today. Uh, when God said, how can you do a thing like this? You had everything going great. Uh, you know, I only told you to stay away from one tree or whatever it was. Uh, other than that, life was perfect. Uh, he didn't have to work hard, like it says in Fiddler on the Roof. Uh, from the Ruchni's perspective, you go with the Chazals. Adam Rishon was hired in the Malachim, so as he's sitting there, Masagel Akusim, whatever he's doing over there, they had a good time. And you, and you blew it all because on the tree, because you fell for the nachash. But as they get this, the human condition is such that every perfect situation cannot be perfect. And Bunshom created a world in which there's always a, a, a snake there. You see? And the, the the snake manifests itself in all kind of ways, or as we call today, Yitzhahara. And it's not hard to mess up a utopia or utopian situation from Narishkai perspective. You know By pushing little things. Uh, it's totally possible, as far as I'm concerned, that everybody can dive in all year long in a house, if that's what's necessary. I hope not. I mean, my shall open when it's possible. But if it's necessary, I repeat, if it's medically necessary, like you find Rabbi Keith Eggers time and all these other people, you do what you got to do. You, know, you, you can maintain life there. Um, to challenge that, because eventually the corona will be over. To challenge that, because... Or whatever it is, because you think this learning thing is better, or that thing is here, or this, or you're outraged, is a mishagas. And mishugana development means you're being led by the nachash, but you don't realize it. Just like Eve could not recognize evil because of external her, now it's the opposite. We don't recognize sometimes it's internal to us. So sometimes you can't see things because you've never seen them, and sometimes when they're part of you, you can't see them. And there's a famous teaching where the Yetzirah is referred to as the Tzfoni, the hidden one. It's that Tzfoni, our Chikmikem, we had it not long ago, one of the Haftorahs. Uh, in, the, in the Messianic Utopian age, Tzfoni, our Chikmikem, God says, I'll keep the Tzfoni away from you. Which means that, uh, the, you know, the Yetzirah. Why is it called Tzfoni? Because it's hidden. Why is it hidden? The Yetzirah operates best when you don't notice he's doing it. So I said, I'm getting all riled up because I don't like the way the New York is doing this or New Jersey is doing that. 
uh, and I'm angry. No, you ain't, you dumbbell. You're not angry. The HR is pushing you to be angry. That's what it is. The HR is pushing you to be angry. And you're too dumb to see that's not you talking. It's, it's manipulating you. And this is how it goes. It's the kind of thing that they said happened in the 2016 election with the Russians. And perhaps it's happening out with the Chinese and the Russians now with the current election. Who knows? It was they simply manipulate people. You get it? So you're being manipulated. The uh, That's why the Bali Muslim, we saw slander and all that. They say it's all about recognizing what I just said. Uh, it's all about realizing and asking yourself the question anytime you do anything. This is a Muslim part. Anytime you do anything, or I want to say something about somebody, do something or whatever, I should immediately do a, a reality check and ask myself the following. Is what I want to do, is the Yitzhahara pushing me, or the Yitzhahara pushing me, or the Yitzhahara? And if you're so blind that you say, oh, it's the Yitzhahara, what can I do? It's a blind. You understand? It's blind. I have a nephew, used to live in Israel, I visited him a couple years ago, he was learning in Nicola there, I think it's V. Kaplan, I think it was, and I just happened to remember snatches of conversation where he said it was some show in Yerushalayim where he was. He lived around Chobarlan, you know, over there in that area. And um, the point is, one guy screamed at another guy in Shul over something. I don't know what it was in Giddish. And one of the people in the Shul, and it's all from guys, and one of the people in Shul went to the guy who was the screamer and said, what do you think the Chazanish would have done in your situation? Punktvich. Chazanish would have done exactly what I did. Really? Chazanish would have screamed at a guy because, I don't know, he stepped on a towel or I don't know what the occasion was. Uh, he's too stupid to see that he got caught up in the HR. If he was honest, he'd say like this, to use an English expression, I lost my temper. That's a secular way of saying Gates got it better on me. You understand? Uh, it's a neutral, secular way of saying I lost my temper. Then there's nobody, uh, you know, in fault. The firm way is to say like this, the HR got control of me, and I listened to it. You understand? My fault? My fault? But I, li- I listened to the HR. Uh, I wish that all the people they're carrying on and making trouble for the rest of Kal Yisrael. Because this from Jude does something bad and I suffer. And you suffer. Get it? But they don't give a darn. They couldn't care less. So, I wish that the light would go on in the heads and they would understand the story of Adam and Eve and the snake and Eden the way I just described it. Because that is the metaphorical meaning of it. It's not the only meaning, and there really was an Armachava, like the Ramban just said, and all that stuff. But everything is kfulim and kfulik kfulim. That there are many layers to understand the story. And what I just said is not some political, uh, you know, uh, innovation because of the events of 2020. The events of 2020, in my mind, illuminate this side of the story. You get it? This side of the story. And uh, and as a result, we know that they, do, they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden and uh, trying to get back in, but haven't done it yet. And that's the story of mankind, trying to get back to the Garden of Eden, but haven't done it yet. And um, man was condemned to uh, not have time on his hands. Which means uh, freedom is not something you know how to use well. Uh, that's a profound statement. Uh, freedom and the opportunity and luxury to do things is what everybody dreams about. But if you get it, what do you actually do with the opportunity you have in your hand? Most people would blow it. That's what the book of Kohelis is about where he's writing about the fact that he had opportunity to do everything, and he tried a lot of things, and, you know, Hakol Havel. So this requires what you call philosophical training. Very few people have that, okay? 
And very few people have that. And so uh, I remember I had a friend, maybe I've said this before, who passed away, and he was a big doctor in Virginia, and a uh, big, big shrink. He passed away, and uh, he, he had a friend who was a guy who said, like, it was a big surgeon. He said, if I had to do it all over again, life all over again, I would have gone to plumbing school and to um, St. John's College in Annapolis, where they teach classic philosophy. Why? Because I would have been a plumber. I could retire at 40 or 45, and I would know what to do with the rest of my life because he had a, a philosophical education. He knew how to touch up things and make judgments. Well, nobody like today has a philosophical education. Uh, but uh, a lot of these people who are, if they find time to uh, burn cars and whatever, break this and riot and, and give interviews on the TV and make a chilshem right, right and left, it'd be, as far as I'm concerned, be better off. They should have some job that would keep them busy from 9 in the morning till 9 at night and they wouldn't make trouble for everybody else. If there's a little bit of a rant in Ekonomi, Economy. We live in uh, you know difficult times, but I'll say it again. Call Yisrael Rabbi Zelzer. I'm saying that to you. If you're making a right, you're getting me in trouble. Where's your call Rabbi Zelzer? You don't give a darn, right? Because you don't have a feeling of a call Yisrael. You don't have such a feeling. That I think is is the biggest crime of all. Uh, I conclude with that famous uh, Gemara is in the Yuma. The Ramam quotes, and that is, you know, uh, you have to conduct yourself in a way that people say, oh, I want to be like that from Jew. Um, but if you, what's the expression? Then people say, that's what we're seeing right now. What do people around the world, what do Jews think and what do Goyim think? And all they can say, the Yitzhahar is pushing them to say like this, I don't give a damn what the others think. Okay, okay, but I'm supposed to care what you think? Anyway, with that happy thought, I wish you all a good Shabbos.